as we go into Ecclesiastes chapter 5, that's our text, and, and we've been going through and we closed up um, this section on worship, and, and it's important how we approach God and, and how we worship Him, um, and it says to guard our ways. And now it goes into oppression and wealth and the pursuit of wealth and riches, and it starts out with oppression of all things, and, and that's a big familiar topic in our society today is being oppressed. You know, and uh, it's, it's a big thing. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the pursuit of wealth and how it can cause moral oppression. And, uh, and some of you may be feeling that. Um, and let me tell you, things don't cause you to feel oppressed. Um, circumstances are in our life and we choose to feel oppressed. Or we, we have feelings and we choose to either acknowledge them or we choose other things. Not all of us feel oppressed, but at some time in your life, I'm assuming because none of us are perfect and the people around us are not perfect, that oppressive things have happened. It's just a part of the flesh and the human nature. The fact that nobody is solid or nobody is perfect and holy and righteous like God. That's why when we put our faith and trust in other things, it's not perfect. But God is perfect. And so I trust that as we look at these things, as we talk about oppression, I remind you that as Solomon is going through and seeking wisdom and showing the vanity of life, he again is proving, even from his own hands and of his own life, of his own making, remember, he is the king, the wisest king, the richest king the world has ever known. And as he writes this, he is looking even at his own works of his own hands and saying it's oppressive. And that's interesting as we look at this because he was favored by God with wisdom and riches. And he says, look what it brought me and look what it did. And what's interesting, we learn so much about oppression and, and how sometimes in the pursuit of wealth and how it corrupts and power and all of these things. And so we're going to look at the, this fact in, in our text. It specifically is talking about kings and governments. And, you know, the reality is, is government is supposed to be an extension of God's justice. That's what it's built about, around. That's what Romans 13 is all about. And as you study Romans 13, it's not about government being perfect. It's about God establishing something to serve us and to exercise God's justice. It was not meant for man to overthrow and to try to define justice. It was supposed to be God's justice played out based on who God is. That's what Romans 13 teaches us. It's supposed to be an extension of God's justice. So when we think about government, we need to keep that in mind. It becomes a means of, and, but the, all too often, politics, political things, and government becomes a means of gaining wealth and power for those who can navigate their way into political office. And that's not true of everybody, but often, too, too often, that's politics. We call it a game, the game of politics. But God's purpose for government is very clear, and that was to exercise His justice and to protect those with under the realm of government but 
as we know, absolutely, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? And so as we think about this, we want to look at that. Well, as you pray with me as we prepare to read God's Word and ask God to bless, as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to read 8 through 12, and then we'll specifically pull our attention back to verses 8 and 9. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we talk about oppression, politics, government, Lord, may our feelings of frustration, our feeling of anxiety or worry or discontent, may, Lord, you calm them. May you help us to get past however we feel right now, because many of us can have many different feelings of anger, of worry, of anxiety, or whatever, fear. There's so many different emotions that can overwhelm and take us. And Lord, and our flesh can cause us to not see the truth that you want to proclaim to our hearts. Lord, I pray that our heart would be blessed in understanding your word this morning. May we have, be blessed through the power of the Spirit to gain insight and wisdom into our living our lives today as we see oppression all around us in many different ways, in many different facets and cultures and ethnicities. Lord, I pray that you, you would be honored above all. You would be glorified. People might see you through our good works. Not that our work is good in and of itself, but that we get to share in your righteousness, your good works. And others might glorify you. And that's our goal today, that you would be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 8, it says this, and take notice uh, of the word oppression. It's, he's repeating the same context of chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes. And Solomon writes, and he says, If you see in a providence, the oppression of the poor, and the violation of justice and of righteousness. Do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher official, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So a king basically cultivating fields, there is gain in the land. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When good increases, when goods increase, they increase those who eat them. And what advantage has their owners but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sheep of a sleep of a laborer whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. <laughs> it's all talking about the vanity of seeking wealth and riches and food. We'll clearly see, it's amazing as we go back to our verses, that we see there's really two keys to oppression. There's two keys when we talk about oppression. What are we talking about as we look about the um, as he says, talks about providences and kings. So he's talking about areas that are being overseen by officials, by kings, by government, is what he's talking about. And that is this, and 
there are two keys to oppression. One is being denied what is just. The Greek writer um, used the word just, the same word that is here in Hebrew, uh, in the context of social rule. So when he's talking about here in verse 8 that there is a violation of justice and righteousness, the word violation is being denied. Some of your translations might say that uh, justice is being denied or that what is just, or it's actually the root word of being robbed. So oppression is literally those that are being robbed of justice or that which is just. In the Greco-Roman times, a just individual was one who, who upheld the customs and the norms of behavior, including and especially public service, and in so doing, created the environment that made for a well-ordered, civilized society. So a just official, a just one who dispensed justice, created an ordered and civilized society. That doesn't sound like today, does it? So oppression is that which is being denied what is just. The other key here is is not only violating justice, but also in verse 8 it says violation of justice and righteousness. So being denied what is righteous. So when we talk about oppression, we're really talking about, Solomon is saying oppression symbolizes these two very basic concepts, being denied or robbed of what is just, being denied of somebody who is, who is exercising authority in a very just manner, or being denied what is right, being right. Righteousness is simple, simply terms of God's, being, of God's uprightness or standard being upheld. And, and it's basically in the embodiment in which man is expected to conform to God's holy righteousness. Um, pr- practically, righteousness means to do what is right in relation to both God and man. So being right before God and being right before man. Righteousness is an attitude. It's an active attitude. It's something that we, we do. It's an attitude. And it's an action which conforms to a standard. So it's being conformed to God's standard. And can be either man's, uh, can be either simple or exemplified by either man's imperfect standard, which means it's exemplified in self-righteousness. We see that in the, the Gospels, Right? When God talks about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their selfish mindset and attitude. Or it could be, righteousness could be exemplified as an attitude and action based on God's standard and his perfect holiness. So the term here in the context, being denied what is righteous, means it means God's view as an oppressive act as being a decision that is not straight and true and upright. So he's talking about that there's decisions that are being made that's oppressive because it's not viewing um, based on God's standard of what is right. That means the decisions are on liquid ground or sandy ground. It's not based on that which is solid, a solid standard, an uh, integrity. If you're in math and, and, and that, you, you have to have everything that's based on whole and complete numbers 
uh, integrity, right? It can't be just wishy-washy and, and something that's not solid. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with oppression? What is our response to oppression? And what can we learn from this text, what Solomon says? Well, there are four things that we're going to quickly go through So, as we look at our response. And that is, look at what he says based on what he sees, which is interesting. Remember, he is the king. He is the one in charge of the providence. He is the one that's upholding, supposed to be upholding righteousness. He is the one that's supposed to be upholding justice. And yet, he says, if you see in the providence the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, he says this, don't be shocked by the matter. What is our response to the oppression and the injustices and all the unrighteousness that we see being done today in politics? Right? We can, if you watch the news, you're going to see a lot of things that are not true. Right? And it's going to infuriate you. Because basically, a lot of times, news are basically given a viewpoint, but withholding other facts. We see it all the time. It's, it's guiding, it's, it's being, basically, it's being oppressive and holding people to a certain point of view. And what is our response? He says, don't be shocked. The word literally shocked, by the way, is uh, amazed or surprised. So he's saying, don't be amazed or surprised at the matter. It means don't get worked up. When we see the oppression, don't get worked up. To put it in our common vernacular and something that you might understand, don't freak out. Maybe you should stop watching the news. <laughs> don't get freaked out when you see political corruption. Don't freak out over it. Don't get worked up. Don't get upset. Don't get angry. It's not something that should ruin your day or make you lose any sleep. This is the norm we live in a fallen world. People are fleshly. People live, most of our politicians are not believers. And by believers, I mean that they know and have a personal relationship with God. Right? We live in a cursed, futile world where there is vanity everywhere. Vain things that don't matter. Politicians have power Power tends to corrupt. So don't be shocked when you find that a lot of people who are in charge are corrupt. Of course, that is going to happen. You don't have to like it. In fact, you shouldn't like it. But it's not worth getting worked up over. There are a lot of things that you don't like, but you don't get upset about them all the time. I, I don't like it when I go feed my pigs every morning. Well, I don't do it every morning. That's why I have family. <laughs> they pick up the slack. But there are things I don't like. I don't like it when their dirty, you know, their dirty, muddy noses, you know, touch me, and especially my legs, my feet, my face. They just like to get right in your face, right? And it's like our politicians today. They tend to just get in your face and they rub it in you, right? It's just nah. Because I know what's on the end of that nose. It's not just mud. <laughs> right? We live in a world filled with a lot of bummers. 
lot of bad situations, and if we focus on them, they tend to wear us out. We don't like it, but Solomon is giving us a pointer here. He says, don't be shocked. Here's the, here's the reality. We need to see the honor God intends. Let me say that again. We need to see the honor that God intends. Remember Romans 13. We didn't read it because of the sake of time this morning, but I encourage you to do that. God intend and put government in place for to institute His justice. God has and puts forth things in order to put forth His honor and for His glory. We need to see the honor that God intends rather than the dishonor that our adversary intends. There are people in politics uh, that are purposely put there to, to dishonor God by the adversary, the roaring lion, the devil, seeking to devour people, right? Forget, forget not that if those who are oppressed, they are to fear God and take him seriously rather than to fear the oppressors. By the way, the reality is oppression, corruption, and suppression of God's justice are simply hard facts of life on earth, under the sun, as Solomon puts it in Ecclesiastes, right? Everything under the sun is futile. It's vain. It's like grasping after the wind. It's playing tag with the wind. You'll never win, right? In fact, it's been around. Moses said almost 600 years earlier than this, for the poor will never cease to be in the land in Deuteronomy 15, 11. It's, it's, it's just a natural thing, poor and oppression. Jesus said it over nine centuries later. He said the poor will always be with you, Mark 14, 7. Here's the reality. Newsflash. Government and politics is corrupt because we have imperfect people in politics. Newsflash, this is the norm. So what are we going to do when we are tested by bad government? Don't be shocked. Don't be alarmed. Right? It's like when you wake up and you see a spider on you. It's pretty shocking, right? I, I, I slept in past my alarm this morning, and I have this weird ability that when somebody walks over to me while I'm dead asleep, I just sit up. My eyes open up. It freaks everybody out. It's freaked Kedrick out a few times. And I've even smacked him a few times because he just stands there like quietly by, next to me, and I just pick, wake him straight up. Right? I was shocked this morning. Nisa walked over to me, and I just sat straight up in bed. <gasps> Because I thought I slept in till church. <laughs> I only slept in a half an hour later than I thought, but I, I, I freaked out. I was like, oh, I was shocked. I was like, oh no, I slept in. Don't be shocked and alarmed. Government is corrupt. It's just the way it is. Here's the other thing, though. Don't be shocked by the matter. Trust in God's plan. You know what's amazing? It says here, it says, do not be amazed at the matter. Verse 8, 
For the high official is watched by higher. There's where corruption. Have you ever noticed that we put corrupt officials in charge of investigating other corrupt officials? So what happens? Corruption is ignored, right? Hey, if you don't tell on me, I won't tell on you. That's kind of the game that's played in politics, right? We see it all the time. But I want you to don't miss this word. It says, do not be amazed at the matter. That word is amazing. It means don't be amazed at the purpose. It's a Hebrew word for purpose. Or it's the good pleasure, will, or purpose. And it's, it's talking about the good and will and purpose of God. Trust in God's plan. So how do we respond to oppression? Well, don't be shocked. It's the norm in a, you know, a sin-filled world. But trust in God's plan. The word matter there. So he's not just saying the matter of oppression. He's talking about the good, perfect plan of God. There will eventually, here's the thing, is as we look at it, and he goes on, that higher official is watched by a higher official, but the reality is that there are yet higher ones over all of them. And what he's talking about is there is God who is over all. Do you trust in God's plan? Because reality is, is don't look at our higher officials of our government in Ferndale who is being watched by the government of Probably not, but they're being watched by, you know, down in in Olympia by our higher officials there who are being watched by the higher officials back in Washington, which they probably are not either. But but the reality is, and we say, well, then who's watching, you know, our government in Washington? Well, it's supposed to be our president, but that's probably not watching them. And who watches the president? Well, it's supposed to be, you know, the Senate and, you know, them, but it's probably not. But the reality is God is watching over all of them. And so as we look at the verse, these verses 8 and 9 are really hard. The Hebrew is it's, it's extremely difficult. And we can get caught up in a lot of different things. But many times, the word higher officials at the end of verse 8 in Hebrew is talking about, literally it's talking about the plurality of majesty. And many times it's used to describe the triune God. You know, it's, as we look at this and we say, well, yeah, we need to trust in God's plan and say, well, there doesn't really seem to be a connection between what Solomon said prior to this, right? He talks about worshiping God, that we need to guard our steps as we go into worship. And as we go out of worship, we need to fear God. There may seem to be no connection. Why does he jump from worship to the oppression of those who seek wealth and riches. What Solomon has said about our approach to God in worship and the oppression we find when we leave, now here's the reality, when we leave the house of worship, but there is a connection, and it's verse 7. The connection is this, but God is the one you must fear. The reality is, what is our response to oppression? Is that, we trust in God's plan. We fear Him. We don't fear politics. Here, and let me say it this way. For the way in which you approach God in worship 
is also the way that you will approach God in oppression, trials, affliction, and tribulation. We are to fear God. You are to fear God whether you are in his house or whether you are outside his house. You must take the most high God seriously. Do you trust him seriously? Whether you bring him your sacrifices or whether you suffer injustice of others. Showing reverence for the almighty God is a grace in which you are to be adorned at all times. Glorifying him regardless of whether what people are whether people are oppressing you or there's injustice. The fear of the Lord is never inappropriate at any event or occasion in your life. The fear of God is probably the most appropriate thing you can carry with you at all times, no matter what you experience in life. Because it points you to God and His plan and that He's higher. Listen to Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9. As it exemplifies and shows us, you say, well, how do we know that fearing God is the most important thing in oppression or trusting God's plan? Well, listen to Psalm 118. Verse 8 and 9, it says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's pretty plain, isn't it? Well, how about verse 9? It says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. That's why everybody, Pastor, what are we going to do if this person gets elected? Love God. (laughs) I'm going to see those who really love God and those who don't. It's going to make my job easier. It's going to make preaching the gospel easier. How about Proverbs 29? Solomon, let's just look at a proverb who Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And we see in Psalm 29, verse 25 through 26, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is, the, it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. Many seek the face of a ruler. Sometimes we wish, oh, if only we had this person as our president, or only if this person was ruling, only if we had this governor, or we had this. We hear it all the time. But here's the reality We only get justice from God. We need to trust in God's plan. In fact, in Zechariah 8, at the end of the prophets proclaiming the coming of the Lord and the faithfulness of God, Zechariah 8, he says this in 6 through 8, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, it is is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of the people in those days Should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Did God do that? Yes, he did. Is God still doing that? Yes, he is. And he says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. By the way, do you remember in John 14, what did Jesus proclaim to the disciples and he proclaimed to us? 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus' plan, God's plan is perfect. Are we going to trust in officials? Or are we going to trust in the Lord's plan? Because He is faithful. He is right. He is just. That, remi- that goes to the third. It just leads us right into naturally into verse 9. And that is, remember the Lord provides things provides through all circumstances. It doesn't matter how bad life gets. It doesn't matter how much oppression you face. God provides. God provides. It doesn't matter. Verse 9 is really kind of hard to understand, and it's really difficult. But the reality is this, that no matter, everybody is relying on anybody. No one on this earth is so great that he is not dependent on someone if you do not, if you cease to exist, our officials have nothing to provide for them. That's the reality. So as 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 the as the king pushes forth for people to, uh, as they as they produce things in the land, as they produce fruit and and grains and stuff, it, it the rulers are all dependent on on that. It, here's the thing: the reality is, a Solomon it speaks here of even the highest and mighty in the land. The king himself is served by the field. Everybody. That's the reality is, is that God provides through every single circumstances. We are always dependent upon God in every circumstance of our life. The Lord always provides, even when you are oppressed. Jeremiah 29.7, I was told by a, a missionary, he had been a missionary in the Philippines for 40 years, he told me, he says, if you want to be a pastor, then you have to read Jeremiah. You have to read Lamentations. And he said, just, just be like Jeremiah. And I was like, but it's a, that's a sad book. But Jeremiah 29.7 says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What? But it's oppressive. Pray for the government. Pray for the politicians. Pray for those that are oppressive. Here's the thing, where God has planted you, pray for their well-being. Because as they succeed, you succeed. What's our response? Pray. By the way, leadership, all the politicians that enter into leadership, it's a serious business. God's going to hold them accountable. Romans 13 tells us as much. All of leadership in the sight of God is serious. Many people don't understand the weight and the burden that comes in leadership. And many leaders don't understand that. That's why in 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, he says in, in Timothy to tell the church, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 7, he says, First of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. 
How many of us, we, we pray for things, but we don't intercede for the officials. We don't pray for them in that way. Also in a way of thanksgiving. We find it hard many times to be thankful for anything political. I say that kind of sarcastically. <laughs> but that's what he says. He says in verse 2, what is all people? For kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants us to pray for anybody in a high position. You ever thought about why? God desires everybody to be saved. It doesn't mean that, he doesn't say that everybody, that verse does not teach that everybody will be saved, although people like them say that. But he desires that. He desires good for all people. He also, there's consequences for the sin of all people. But here's the thing. It's good, it's pleasing in the sight of God to pray for our officials. God desires them to be saved just like he wanted you to be saved. Listen to what he says. He says he wants them to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed, a preacher, an apostle, and I'm telling you the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. God wants us to proclaim the gospel. The more we pray for our high officials that are oppressive and we see the oppression and the more we pray and we intercede on their behalf and we pray to Jesus who's interceding on our behalf, the more the gospel is proclaimed. Look at Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah, he was a prophet that lived in you know, Persia under Xerxes, which is not a good place to live. Let me tell you, it was very highly oppressive to be anybody other than a Persian. And he prayed to the Lord. Verse 11, he says in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Nehemiah, he says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who is he talking about? The king. He says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. He's walking in, bringing wine to the king, Xerxes. And he says, pray, Lord, I'm praying, help me as I go into the king. Because he had a message. King, let me go to Jerusalem. Let me fix Jerusalem. Let me help Jerusalem. Let me build it back up. How many kings that overtook a country that destroyed a country lets the people of that country rebuild it and become strong again? That is not a normal thing. But you see, Nehemiah believed in God's plan. He wasn't shocked by the oppression. He trusted the Lord. He believed in a great God who keeps his promises. Look at verses 5, 8, and 9. He proclaims, God, you are faithful. These are your promises. You said we would return to Jerusalem, that it would be magnificent again. I believe it. And he prayed, God, help me 
as I trust in your plan as I go before the king. He prayed, but then he prepared to work. Do you notice that? Nehemiah didn't just pray and say, okay, I'm going to wait. God, show up. He prayed, and then he said, okay, now I'm going to go do the work. How many of us pray for our government and then go to work and prepare to work? He was not content merely to get answers to his prayer. He wanted to be an answer to the prayer. See, when we pray in our relationship with God, when we pray to God, it's not to get things. God transforms us in that time of prayer. God molds us into his perfect plan. Nehemiah's public life was the outflow of his personal life, his personal relationship with the Lord, which was steeped and shaped by a lifestyle of prayer, just like Daniel was. These guys, these guys lived under oppression. They lived under, there was no equality. There was nothing, right? Nothing that we see people striving for today. And yet, it was, he was devoted to God. He was dependent on God for everything. And his desire was to glorify God in every expression of his life. That gives the same kind of meaning to Romans chapter 12 when we live our life as a perfect sacrifice to God, to glorify God, to worship God. That's the point. In verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Verse 14, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're not, we don't feel good about those who are oppressed. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought and do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Don't be shocked. Trust in God's plan. Remember that God always provides in every circumstance. Pray. First Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Don't just be content where you are. Do it more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we have instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. God wants us to walk properly among those, even those who oppress us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without, without which no one will see the Lord. Unfortunately, political corruption, oppression have been around since the creation. A long time. Because God's judgments are not always swift. We tend to feel the oppression. We're waiting for God's judgment. And God's judgment is not always swift. He is gracious. He is kind. He waits. He longs for people to turn to justice, to His righteousness, to holiness. 
We, we want things that go swifter. We want things that happen sooner. And some sadly believe God is ignoring the plight of the oppression. Just ask the Hebrews in 400 years in captivity in Egypt or think about when they were in Babylon. Lord, when are you going to fulfill your promises? Exactly when I plan to, God says. His word, God's word makes it clear that he does see. He sees what you're going through. He knows what's going on in America. He knows what's going on in the world. He is above all things. He is not controlled by time and matter and the circumstances that we face. He does care. And he will make the guilty pay. Everyone will have to give account for what they do. God is the just and the justifier of all sin. So what do we do for now? What do you fear the most? Because it'll determine how you react to oppression. Do we fear the oppressors or do we fear the Lord? Do we trust Him? Because if we fear Him, we'll trust Him. And if we trust Him, He'll provide, even in our circumstances of oppression, to make a way of escape, to persevere to the end. Do we trust in God's plan? Don't be shocked. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Strengthen. Prayer strengthens your relationship with the Lord so you will endure all things and we will be a part of God's plan. Plan to provide peace through the gospel. Plan to institute justice through the gospel. Through God's plan. So where are you? Are you shocked? Are you dismayed? Are you saying, no, because I know the Lord. I trust the Lord. I fear the Lord. Your approach and how you worship God will also determine your approach during times of oppression. It'll determine what you trust in. On Christ the solid rock I stand, in all other ground it's just sinking sand. Trust in our Savior. Last week, one of our attenders put their faith and trust in Christ for the very first time got, and came to the Lord, got saved right here, right in the front. Now, it wasn't them. <laughs> it was a beautiful thing. It was an amazing sight to behold. Take your eyes off your oppression. Realize how important our sin is before God. Put your faith and trust in the Lord. If you haven't ever done that, I, I, I challenge you to do it this morning. God saves. Government doesn't. Will you pray for them? Lord, I just thank you so much for the wisdom, the wisdom of old, the eternal wisdom that you gave Solomon that came from you, which is above, which is above all things. And as we look at oppression today, as we think about these things, I pray that something that you said through your word this morning, Lord, would give us wisdom and insight and encouragement. Lift up our souls to heaven to see your works of majesty and get our eyes off of this imperfect world. May we fear you. May we look at your works and behold your majesty and be in awe of our God who would die for us on the cross and live for us as he conquered death.
the only one, the true God, Jesus our Lord. I pray that we would all here have responded to your call, your call of salvation, to respond to the gospel, to say, I am a sinner. I need Jesus' work on the cross. I can't do it. It's not me, but Christ. May we lay down our life and pick up the cross. What Christ did, his sacrifice, his payment. Because doing good and living good and being good could never pay. It does not satisfy the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God. It cannot compare. But Jesus being God, being man, being the perfect sacrifice, 100% God, 100% man, the man Christ Jesus, who would go to the cross and say, I will pay for you. I pray that you'd respond to that gift. Take that gift this morning. Lay down your life and pick up the cross. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved from your sin. Let's con- Lord, I pray that we would see that continue, that we get our eyes back on the mission, and that is to focus on who you are, your plan, to see people acknowledge you, to see people obeying you, loving you, ultimately modeling you to be like you. Oh, Lord, may that be our goal this morning, not to focus on fixing the world, because, Lord, you do that through the gospel. And if we love you, if we fear you, we obey you, we acknowledge you, you will help us to impact this world through the gospel. And, Lord, one day you will crush all opposition and oppression and injustice. And you will return. Christ, when you return and you set up your kingdom once and for all, without sin, and we will behold your glory, and we will worship you face to face. Oh, what a day that'll be. Lord, I pray everyone here would be there that's listening or here in person, that they can know that they'll be in heaven with you for eternity. May that be our greatest mission, our greatest joy, is to see people come to know you and be in heaven for eternity, that they can answer that question, where will you go when you die? And may it be a resounding to heaven because of Christ who died for me, who saved me. May that be on all our breath as we leave today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.